You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to open your Bibles this afternoon to Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him with the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars and puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all. Who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Thus far, reading from Psalm 33, we turn now to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 6. We begin reading at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 9 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth? That the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, 
is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as faithful Father. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in recent years, the words, I believe, have come back into vogue in academic and scholarly environments. Perhaps many of you, when you went to university, you were taught, in fact, to write in your your papers and other works that you produced, I believe. I certainly was as I went to university. McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, secular university, was was taught in various classes at various times to write, I believe. And yet, the way in which that was to be meant was not entirely a positive thing. You were to write, I believe, in a paper something that you would wrote of a scholarly kind, when you were expressing something that that wasn't fact, but was instead personal opinion. So if you're writing a philosophy paper, or in theology, or history, or wherever you were writing something, if you were wanting to write something that, that was mere personal opinion, then you would begin with the phrase, I believe. Now you understand that that use of the words, I believe, is vastly different than the way that Christians for millennia have understood this word. The word, the words, I believe, in our confession of faith are not mere personal opinion. In fact, in today's world where the foundations are being destroyed, and the righteous are wondering, what do we do? It's our confession, it's our our credo, it's our I believe, which we must hold on to. And we hold on to this not as mere personal opinion, but we believe this as what God has revealed to be true. And this is most certainly true, also in today's environment, of this first article of the Apostles' Creed. When we confess that I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, we're not stating this as mere personal opinion. We're not stating this as the best option that we as the organization of the church today has to offer to the discussion. What we're doing is expressing our sure knowledge and firm confidence based on God's word that God, our Father, is the creator. And when we do this, brothers and sisters, when we do this, it is a confession. It is a confession of faith. It's a confession that comes out of a heart of faith that's not focused on on controversy, 
nor on differences, nor on philosophy or science. It is a confession that comes out of a heart of faith that is focused squarely, humbly, and confidently on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it is through the great work of Jesus Christ that we confess, I believe, in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Because of the great work of Jesus Christ, we believe in God the Father. And we believe that this Father is the Creator. We believe that He is the Provider. We also finally believe that He is Almighty. The Creator God is my Father. The Provider God is my Father. And the Almighty God is my Father. As we confess when we Say the words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now just to be clear at the outset, we should state that when we confess that God the Father is the creator, we're not saying that he is the only person of the Trinity active in creation. God's word reveals the spirit present there. The time of creation, we all, God's word also reveals that all things were created through Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and elsewhere. And so the Son and the Spirit are also active, but the Father is foremost in this work of creation. So how do we know? How do we know this God, the Father, who has created the world, the heavens and the earth, and everything that is in them? Where does this sure knowledge of God, the Creator, come from? The prevailing theology at the time of the Reformation, the time in which this catechism was written, the Heidelberg Catechism, was Roman Catholic theology. And Roman Catholic theology taught that we could know God through our reason, through understanding the created world. The Baltimore Catechism is a product of North American Catholicism, but it summarizes the position of, of Roman Catholicism well when it says, we can know by our natural reason that there is a God. For natural reason tells us that the world we see about us could have been made only through a self-existing being, all-wise and almighty. So, according to this catechism, this first article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Something that we can confess with the product of our natural reason, looking about us at the world. According to Psalm 19, the heavens, of course, declare the glory of God. And according to Roman Catholic theology, through natural means, we can know that God of whom The heavens sing. And you will hear many variations of this argument, this this teaching today, that we can know God through natural means. In in light of of the, the Big Bang theory, some Christians 
who embraced that theory, believed that, that now there was evidence that would lead scientists along a path that would cause them to acknowledge that, yes, there is a God. The Big Bang theory that, that at one time there was nothing and then suddenly the universe came into existence. And so how did the universe come into existence? Christians optimistically believed that scientists would have to say, well, it must have been the work of God. You'll hear this in the, the Christian science movement as well when they speak about creation evangelism, as though through natural reason, understanding of the world, such as in design, people can come to know God, the Creator. These both reflect in some ways the optimism of the Roman Catholic theology of which we spoke. And some might argue that this also reflects Reformed theology, since as the Belgic Confession Article 2 famously states, we know God through two means. And the first mean is through the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. But we looked at the Belgic Confession several weeks ago, Article 2. Article 2, which begins, we know God through the creation preservation of the universe, but which ends after considering Romans 1, that this knowledge is sufficient to convict men and leave them without excuse. So it's the first means that of God's creation which is sufficient only to leave men without excuse. It's the second means, God's word, as the Belgic Confession goes on to say, which leads to knowledge, leads to true knowledge, the sure knowledge that acts as the foundation of true faith. And so the Reformed Confessions reject the idea that we can come to know God the Father as creator merely through his creation. The problem, however, is not with creation, which is before our eyes as the most beautiful book, even though it's cursed, but the problem is with man. The problem is with us. In our hearts, we distort and believe to be untrue, which creation itself declares to be true. This happened, of course, this this twisting of our heart and of our capacity to, to know God as the creator. It happened in the fall into sin, where our nature became corrupt. We became unable to know God in this way. So how do we understand the Belgic Confession, Article 2? How do we understand that, that God reveals himself in this way, but, but we distort it? How are we then to know God? Well, this confession is, of course, a confession, just like in the Apostles' Creed. Basic to every confession are the words, I believe. I believe. It's through faith. It's through that belief, that faith that's possible only through Jesus Christ and his work. Only through the Holy Spirit and built upon the word of God. Built upon the word of God, of course. How do we even know? It's very interesting if you consider Belgian Confession Article 2. 
How do we know that God reveals himself in his creation? The Belgian Confession doesn't give a footnote that says, well, if you consider this aspect of creation or that aspect. No, the footnote brings us to the word of God. That's how we know God. And how can we know that we can trust God's word? Because the Spirit gives us confidence. The same Spirit who through God's word reveals Jesus Christ as our Savior and mediator also reveals God the Father as our creator. And so it's through faith. Through faith founded upon the word of God worked by the Holy Spirit that we can know God as the creator. And we can know that God the creator is our Father. Yes, it's that same faith by which we know Jesus Christ, our Savior, by which we trust that that God is, is our God and will be with us. That's the same faith by which we know, as Hebrews 11 verse 3 states, that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Or as Romans 4 says, that God calls into existence the things that do not exist through faith that we know that God is the creator, the creator that has created out of nothing, ex nihilo, as the church has confessed through the ages, that God used no pre-existing material to accomplish his creation. A, A potter creates from clay, a builder creates from wood and steel, but God created from nothing. From nothing. And so in this way, God is, is sovereign, is alone as the creator. No one else can create in this way. The word, the, the word in the original for to create in Genesis 1 is a word that's only used with respect to God. God is the only one who create, who can create in that way. God's creating is unique. It is divine. Only God can create out of nothing. Only God can speak and command this world into being. Now, of course, with this confession that God is the creator, there is a great deal of mystery. God's creation cannot be discerned by natural means, by the natural sciences. These sciences are are limited in their very nature as being natural. Creation is not natural. It is a supernatural work of the almighty God. The hypothesis of creation, quote unquote, cannot be tested nor observed. It cannot be reproduced in the lab. This is the work of the almighty and all powerful sovereign God. God's original creation as revealed in Genesis 1 was a supernatural extraordinary, wonderfully mysterious and majestic act of God the Father. And so how do we know that God created? Because God has revealed it to us in his word. Now some will say that God's word gives us the who and the what and the why of creation. Who? God? What? heaven and earth and all things, and why for his glory? Of course, that's all true, but not the how. How did God create? 
But that is not true. Scripture leaves much mystery with respect to God's creation, but it does reveal the how. It does so in Genesis 1, and we read about that in Psalm 33, the verses 6 and 9. How did God create? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 33, verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke this world into being. And not only that, but Scripture also, though leaving aside many details and certainly focused on the goal, does provide us with many aspects of the how as it lays out in, in Genesis 1 in that beautiful, historical revelation of God's creation. As it shows the, the orderly, systematic, sovereignly controlled manner in which God created over the course of those six days. It is not random chance. Genesis 1 reveals that God is in absolute control and even in the way that he controls and orders his creation, it's, it's orderly. It's only When he speaks and when he acts, that things come into being. It's according to God's sovereign plan. God's word also reveals that. Genesis 1, of course, begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But from passages like Ephesians 1, we know that before God had even created this world, he had a plan. And so all things happened according to his plan. God creates in surprising and confounding ways, inexplicable ways that cause us to wonder, not as skeptics and as critics of God and his revelation, but which cause us to wonder as adoring and trusting children. God revealed his creation in such a way that we would always acknowledge that he alone is God, separate from his creation, powerful over his creation. That is most certainly true of God's word. God the Father is not the the accidental creator. So that we simply say, well, when we see things happen, then we say, well, God did that. That's not how God reveals himself as creator. He's not the accidental creator. He's not an an accidental part of the things that happen in the world. He's sovereign over them. And when he spoke, they came to be. But not only is God sovereign and powerful over his creation, he's also lovingly and intimately involved. God creates in holy freedom, but... He pronounces his blessing over his creation in tender intimacy. So loving and involved, in fact, was God the Father with his creation. That when his creation was was marred and ruined because of sin, and man, his own image, plunged into, into corruption, total depravity, God was there, lovingly, intimately 
involved. And he promised a savior. And in the course of time, God sent his son into the world to become man so that he might be that savior. And through this savior, Jesus Christ, God is accomplishing now the work of recreation. Restoring, first of all, the crown of his creation as he carries out his saving work in this world and gives us those made in his image plunged into sin and through our sin, plunging this whole world into the curse of sin. Now giving us, his children, the capacity to look at the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and to praise him. To praise him as God, the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. Because of the great work of Jesus Christ, the creator God is our father. We can confess that. Because of the great work of Jesus Christ, as we go on to the second point, we also believe that the providing God is our father. It is true that today Christians are challenged to stand up in this world and I and, and confess that I believe that God the Father created this world. It's a challenge for us to stand up in this world and say that. But oftentimes it is more challenging to say that I believe God the Father, God my Father, is still upholding and governing all things in this world. It's not oftentimes the greater challenge that we face. We're not speaking about the scientific dilemmas involved here, but about the existential dilemmas. The question of what is happening in this world and why would God ordain things to happen this way? And if I can perceive no good in this, does that mean that there is in fact nothing good? How can that loving intimately involved God continue to watch pain and suffering that happens in this world, and and not merely in this world, but with God's own children. Those who are bold and confess Him as their Father, the Creator. You know these dilemmas because they exist in your lives. You know this problem because it exists in our world and it affects our congregation. Just over a week ago, some of you were present as we buried the body of a three-day-old child in the ground. And as we walked together as a congregation through that, many of you also recalled your own pain and hardship. Children lost at a young age. Children who did not make it to the time of birth. Or you thought of those you know and love who have not had may never have that experience holding a child in your womb. Even those who would love and long to, desire to raise children, 
These are painful and difficult realities, and we are saying nothing of so many other difficult and painful realities through which we we must walk. What does God's Word tell us when we speak of these realities? As we confess that, yes, God is the providing God who still upholds and governs all things in this world. The Catechism summarizes this for us well in Lord's Day 9. We confess that God is still upholding and governing this world and all things in it. His word reveals that. And we know that this upholding and governing God is my Father through Jesus Christ. And so, we can confess, this upholding and governing God cares for me, and not only for me, but for this whole world, in particular, all who trust in Him. And yet, this creating and providing God does not promise that things will be easier for us when we trust in Him. He does not say that by the by virtue of believing in him and confessing that he is the almighty God, that we will therefore be spared from hardship, suffering and pain. That we will not have to walk that journey through the valley of the shadow of death. God does not promise that he will turn adversity away from us. But he does tell us that when adversity comes, when it comes, yes, by his almighty hand, that we can trust that he is good. And that this, too, is part of his good and gracious, though incomprehensible, wisdom. The prophet Isaiah brought this together, God's creation and providence in a most comforting way. In in chapter 40, that, that chapter of comfort to a people who are lost in exile, questioning God's purposes, it, Isaiah calls Israel to, to look to the heavens and consider their creator. That same creator, Isaiah says, is is the God who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And so Israel does not need to worry or complain that God is not watching over them. Because if God knows each one of the stars by name, And he also knows them, the everlasting God, Isaiah says, the creator of heavens and earth is watching over them. And he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. If you believe that God is the creator and the provider, then you can entrust yourself and this present circumstance, this present difficulty, whatever it may be to him. Our Lord Jesus also called us to look to the natural world, to see God's providence, and so to experience comfort. The Lord Jesus calls us to faith by using God's guiding hand within creation. He says, the sparrows are fed and the the lilies are beautiful just the way that God made them. We express our small faith when we try to get ahead of God's providence. 
And when, when other th- things of this life become too important to us, things like, like clothing and food become more important than God and His kingdom. We worry when those concerns become larger than God. But God is the creator of all these things. His word clearly teaches us this, that God is sovereign and that he is in control. And so as the spirit teaches us to know God through his word, we can also learn to trust God in all things. This all comes together as we come to our third point, when we acknowledge that the almighty God is my father. This is the heart of our trust in the providing and creating God. It is one thing to confess that there is some powerful being who is in control of this world, but it's another thing altogether to say, I know him. I know him. But that is what we can say about God, because in his grace he has revealed himself. He has revealed who he is through his word. See, we don't always know why God is ordaining things, providing, governing in this world the way that he is. We certainly don't always know how God is ordering things. But in all things, through his word, we know who he is. We know, first of all, that he is the almighty God. He is the Almighty God. He is the God who spoke and it came to be. He's the God who makes life, creates life, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. He is the God who spoke and there was light, who commanded and the universe was ordered. He is Almighty. That's who He is. But He is also my Father. We also know Him as our Father. This incredible passage from 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul captures this succinctly and beautifully. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The God who reveals himself creating this world is the God who reveals himself as the Savior through Jesus Christ. So that by faith in Christ, we can say in love, the eternal electing, creating and providing God has become my father. He is the almighty God. He is holy. His glory is above the heavens, but he is my faithful father who has redeemed me and will guide me through this life. Because of the great work of Jesus Christ, revealed through his word, applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, 
the almighty creator God has become our father. This is what we confess when we say, I believe in God, the father almighty creator of heaven and earth. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.